Let's pray together. Lord God, you are so good. You're so wise. You're so wise that you can even take us through hardships and trials and suffering and difficulty and persecution because you're wise enough and powerful enough to work that for our good. What God is like our God. And we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to reveal to us your holiness, to reveal to us your love and also your justice, that in the cross we find a God who is just, repaying all what is due to those who sin, and yet a God who is loving, casting all of the sin of those who are repentant upon your own son, that you would bear that burden for us. And Lord, I pray this morning as we talk about discipleship that you would soften our hearts, Lord. That you would allow us to see that um, Christianity and discipleship are one and the same thing. That there is no Christianity apart from discipleship. That there is no hope of the gospel apart from following in the footsteps of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would protect us from the onslaught of the evil one who would love to in that message, heap upon us shame and condemnation, guilt, that we're not doing enough, and instead that you would encourage us by your Spirit who has provided for us everything that is necessary in order for us to succeed in following Jesus. We thank you for the grace that you have given us that makes that possible. And so, Lord, speak to us, minister to our hearts, challenge us, change us, humble us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, open your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We've been making our way in this little series. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got our little welcome table back here. Uh, we have Bibles on it. We want you to have a Bible. We want you to take one of those, keep it, read it. Um, but I, I do encourage you to read along with us or pull it up on your phone. But we've uh, made our way through this little series on our core values. We have already touched on things like uh, adoration that we adore God. We've touched on things like spiritual gifts, that we want to use our God-given gifts to serve God and serve one another. We've talked about sound doctrine, the importance of having the right teaching of Jesus that comes to us through his word. Today we're going to talk about discipleship. John uh, spilled the beans and spoiled it for us. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, and and we're, we're close to the end of this series. We're going to be moving back to just making our way slowly through Genesis. But today we're going to talk about discipleship. And um, I mean, if you've been sticking around Maricopa Springs for the last couple of weeks, you know that I've already said some hard things. Maybe the word parasite continues to, you know, bounce around in your brain. But I will be honest with you and say that I think of all the messages that you hear me give through this series on our core values, this one might actually be the hardest. This might be the hardest for you to hear. So let's just get right to it. I want to start with a simple statement that is true and should not be controversial, but based on your experience in churches, you might find difficult to swallow. Based on your prior church experience, this might be shocking for you to hear this. Okay, here it is. You cannot be a Christian unless you are a disciple of Jesus. You cannot be a Christian unless you are a disciple of Jesus. Let me say it another way. You are not a Christian unless you are a disciple of Jesus. 
And I actually really hope that that's, this is not the first time that you've heard this. Like, I hope that this is not a surprise to you. But I do think that there are a lot of people out there who think that what it means to be a Christian is, you know, you're a little more moral than your neighbor. Or you go to church from time to time, you know, the more the better. Or that a Christian is somebody who believes in Jesus, like a kid might believe in Santa Claus. And those things then make it so you get to go to heaven. I think there are lots of people where some amalgamation of those things is their definition of what it means to be a Christian. But that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. And I would say that teaching is not the faithful, sound doctrine of Scripture. Going to church or calling yourself a Christian or being a good person is not the same thing, my friends, as being a disciple of Jesus. And you cannot enter the kingdom of God apart from being a disciple of Jesus. There's no heaven without discipleship. There's no gospel without discipleship. There is no Christianity without discipleship. Jesus came to make us like himself, and that happens through this process of following him, being his disciple. Now, do not misunderstand, okay? I, I, I want to make sure this is very clear. It is truly only God's grace that can bring you into the kingdom of God. I am not suggesting that by you doing more things, you can enter the kingdom of God. It is only by grace only God's grace can bring you into his kingdom. But once that grace has been applied to you and you have received that grace and you are now a member of the kingdom of God, then the very center of your life, the core of who you are, the heartbeat within you is to follow this Savior who loves you, to be formed in his image, to be close to him, to be like him. Discipleship does not get you into the kingdom of God. Grace gets you into the kingdom of God. But grace makes you a disciple. And if grace has been applied to you to bring you into the kingdom of God, then that grace is going to drive you to be like the king in the kingdom. Like fish swim, cheetahs run, eagles fly. People who have received grace follow Jesus. They are disciples. It's like by definition who they are and what they do. It's the natural consequence of grace that we would pursue the one who has given it to us so freely. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus, then I want you to understand, I do not believe that you have received the grace of the kingdom that makes you one of Jesus' people. Now that's heavy. And again, maybe that's shocking to some of you to hear. Like maybe this is the first time that, maybe you've listened to a lot of sermons and this is the first time that in a sermon anybody has ever said to you that if you are not a disciple of Jesus, then you're not actually a Christian. But if you stick with me through the rest of the sermon, I would like an opportunity to try and prove it to you from God's word, okay? That will be my goal. So here's our core value for discipleship. Let's throw that slide up here on the screen. There you go. We are becoming more like Jesus, at Maricopa Springs, we are committed as a church to becoming more like Jesus. We value discipleship. We want the people connected to our church to grow and be transformed and be changed by grace so that we look more like Christ. 
Now, let's look at our text here from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. The Apostle Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is the time of your exile right now, this life. While we wait to step into the kingdom, this is the time of exile. So conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers, or inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. We're going to stop right there. Now, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not going to have time this morning to go through all of the particulars that this passage uh, deals with. I'm not going to be able to pull it all apart, which, you know, is unfortunately often the case. There's just too much here. But so, so go home and read this and work through it yourself a couple of times. Pull it apart and, and figure out what it means. But I think the theme here is pretty evident. Because God has called us to himself and he is holy, we therefore must be holy like him. Again, this is the natural result of grace. The natural result of grace is holiness. That we reflect the holiness of the one who has given us this grace. The holiness that we have received is a gift of grace. It's been given to us. And therefore, then we must seize that grace and we must put it to work so that we become holy like him. Peter says it like this. Listen to the different phrases he uses, okay? And I'm just going to, you'll have to just kind of scan it as I go through these. We prepare our minds for action. We set our hope on this grace. We live as obedient children. We call on God as Father. We purify our souls through obedience to the truth. We walk according to the living and abiding Word of God. All of that is a gift of grace. That's been given to you. It's been given to me. And we take hold of it and we put it to action in our lives. Now look with me at verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
So Peter says that we used to be filled with passion that came from ignorance. That would be the passion of sin, the passion of the flesh that's just driven by desire. But now, now we're different and so we must be holy. And a little further on, look again at verses 18 and 19. He says kind of something similar. It says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Okay, so again, Peter says, you used to live in the futility of sin. That's what you inherited from your forefathers who came before you. But now you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Both of these sections, both of these like double pieces, double verses, speak of a life that was the case before grace that defined us and a life after grace where we became something different, where something really, truly powerful occurred. Now, one of the terrible mistakes that is often made in proclaiming the good news of Christianity, I think, is a failure to define the cross properly or explain it properly. What we say to people is, Jesus died for your sins. Isn't that good news? But I think when we say that, that's not not exactly actually what we mean. When we say Jesus died for your sins, I don't think that's actually what we mean. The statement is true and correct. Jesus died for your sins. But what we mean when we say that is incomplete. Think about it. What does it mean to be saved from your sins? What does that mean? Does it mean that you're forgiven and therefore you're no longer condemned for the things that you did in the past? Does being saved from your sins mean that forgiveness is the totality of the message of good news? Or does it mean something more than that? Like, is all that it means is, is you get forgiveness, but then you're going to keep sinning, and then when you do that, just go back to Jesus and get more forgiveness. And it'll just be this depressing, endless cycle of you asking God for forgiveness, groveling before him, and the power that he gives you is just, it's okay, you're forgiven. Is that what it means, that Jesus died for our sins? See, I, I think all too often when we think about being saved from our sin, what we really mean is, you can stop feeling guilty for the things that you've done in your past. You can get out from under guilt and condemnation and shame. And, and I think actually sometimes when we define Jesus died for your sins, that's it. That's all we, all we mean. The cross will wash away all of your sins and then, you know, kind of good luck with where things go from there. Now, a good illustration of how stupid this idea is, I think, can be seen in uh, these very progressive district attorneys. Maybe you're familiar with this story. We have these district attorneys in some places in America where criminals get arrested and then literally the next day they're just let out with no bail, no jail time, no court date. They're just set free. The, di the district attorneys get rid of their guilt and then the criminals who remain criminals continue to just go about life as a criminal, right? Like, is that all that Jesus did for us on the cross? I just heard about a man in New York City who's been arrested 42 times for basically the same crime. Guess what he's going to do? 
He's going to go do the same crime, right? And he's probably going to be arrested another 42 times, and he's just going to be let go because they're just like, your guilt, no problem. But that's not what it means to be saved from your sins, my friends. That you get forgiveness, but sin is still your master. That's not what it means to be saved from your sins. Here in verse 18, Peter tells us that the blood of Jesus has ransomed us from the futile ways that we inherited from our forefathers, those who came before us. The futile ways that Peter is talking about here is the effort that man makes to deal with his sin problem according to his own power. That's the futile ways. As if you, in your strength and your power alone, as a fallen, broken human being, guilty of sin, could address the sin problem. You can't. It's futile. Now, the way that the Bible talks about this a lot is it uses the word law. Now, I'm I'm not, you got to stick with me here. I'm not now talking about district attorneys and laws in New York. I'm talking about the Old Testament law. This idea that you need to stop doing things. Do not covet, do not steal, do not lie. That's law, okay? If you try to treat the sickness of sin with law, do you know what you get? Have you ever tried it? Have you ever tried to be like, I got this sin and I'm just going to stop? Have you ever tried that? Oh, I can tell you I've tried it and you know what happens? You get more sin, and I'm not actually making that, up, making that up. Paul talks about this in Romans. In Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 20, he says that where you try to deal with sin by law, do not, do not, do not, do not, you actually get more sin. And that's the futile ways of our fathers. We will fix sin by stopping it. Sin ends up actually, in response to that, heaped upon sin, heaped upon sin, heaped upon sin, with no remedy to deal with the power that sin has to master people and conquer them. But listen to this. If you treat the human sin problem with grace, do you know what you get? You get holiness. That's what you get. That's what Romans 6 says. Go home and read that today. It talks about sin no longer being your master because Jesus and his grace is your master. Friends, Jesus did not come to save us only from our guilt or our condemnation. Yes, he did that. But that is not the totality of the good news that we proclaim. Jesus came to save us from our sins, to save us from the power of sin, that it no longer has to rule over us. Not only after we die in eternity, but right now, as we live lives of holy, as holiness, as we are holy like he is holy. He came to ransom us from the futile ways of those who came before us, who just kept sinning despite all of their human efforts to stop sinning. That's what he came to ransom us from. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And that is really good news, isn't it? Maybe you're one of those people who's like, I think I get this idea that Jesus forgives me, but like, I have to keep going back to him for more and more forgiveness. Now, there's a sense in which that remains true for the Christian life while we live in this flesh, in this world, while we wait for the totality of the kingdom of God to come. That's true. 
But you need to understand the gospel is more than just you can be forgiven. The gospel is you can be transformed. The gospel is you can be saved from being the crappy person that you are from now until kingdom come. You can be changed. You can be forgiven and you can be changed. That's the gospel. Through grace. You can be made into a new creation. You can walk in holiness like God. Through this grace to which God calls you to himself, you can be made like Christ. It's not something you do by being good. It, the power is not in you. It's something that God has done for you. So now you can. Jesus does not demand that we be holy like him. He's telling us that it's possible that through grace we can be holy like him. Doesn't that lift so much of the burden? Jesus is telling you that it is possible for you to be like him by grace. Isn't that so much more powerful than just, you can be forgiven, but you're still going to get your butt kicked every day by sin. Is that really a, a, a message of like hope for this life in the stuff I'm dealing with now? I think that the gospel of you can be forgiven is a wimpy gospel. Which is why so many people that are eating that diet, you can just be forgiven, are wimpy Christians. But I think that the gospel of you can be holy because of grace, that's a powerful gospel. It includes forgiveness, but the forgiveness drives us to follow Jesus. To be like the one who loves us and forgives us. So this brings us to discipleship then. A disciple is a person who is living in the power of the gospel, living free from sin, living under the authority of God. John, you said I was going to give a definition, and I like wasn't planning on thinking of that as a definition, but that sounded way too complicated, so let me say it again. <laughs> a disciple is a person who is living under the power of the gospel, living free from sin under the authority of God. And that's all by grace. A disciple is a person who's learning to be an obedient child of God. A disciple is a person who is living out the way of Jesus by the grace that he has offered them. And I want you to understand this, okay? And again, this also might be a little bit controversial, but I've thought hard about it and I feel good about it, okay? Like through the totality of our lives, we need forgiveness, okay? I'm not, I'm not diminishing that at all. Like probably every day we need forgiveness. But, but listen to this. I think that over time, a disciple actually needs less forgiveness because he learns to have more grace. Now we tend to think that you need more grace in order to have more forgiveness. But I'm actually flipping that around. Do you understand what I'm saying? A disciple actually needs less forgiveness because he has learned to draw more grace from God and the grace produces holiness, which means that I'm becoming more like Jesus, which means that on a daily basis, I'm more like him. I have less defeats to apologize for 
And I have more victories to rejoice over and give God praise for His grace. Not grace that comes because of forgiveness, but grace that comes because of obedience. The grace a disciple receives empowers him to please God rather than surrender to sin. And that's nothing to boast about, right? I I wouldn't call that my power. It's all the same grace that comes from God. It's the grace that forgives, and it's the grace that carries me into holiness. And this is not some complicated formula. Like, I think I have a tendency to make simple things complex, and I'm sorry. So, please understand, this is not a complicated thing. This is not some deep mystery that only people with, you know, degrees in uh, biblical studies can understand. This is very, very simple. This is basic Christianity. This is basic Christianity right here. A disciple is someone who is an apprentice or a pupil of Jesus. A disciple studies the way of Jesus with the goal of following the way of Jesus. A disciple is somebody who learns God's will in order that his will might take over my will, might be aligned with my will, or I should say my will aligns with his will so that I can live that will out. A disciple is simply a person who actually practices the teachings of Jesus. A disciple conquers sin through the power of Christ by grace. So ask yourself, is that you? Like, if you look back over the last couple of months, would you say that you're living in grace? The grace that produces holiness? Are you here just to get forgiveness of your sins so that you can feel better and maybe, like, not have a tortured conscience? Or are you here because you're really serious that you want to look like the Son of God in all of His perfection and glory? Now, there is unlimited forgiveness of sins. Praise God for that. You cannot exhaust the forgiving blood of Jesus, and you're going to need it along the way. But I, I want you to understand that there is something more that is being offered to you than just this endless cycle of repeating the same sin. Don't you want a life that brings you joy, a life that brings you peace, Because you're looking like Christ rather than a life of constant shame and guilt. Well, then draw on grace. Not the grace that forgives, but the grace that sustains. That kind of life is available to you through discipleship. So let me say what I said at the beginning again. If you only want forgiveness of sins, but you're unwilling to walk in the way of Jesus, you're not actually a Christian. If you want only to be forgiven of your sins, but you do not want to follow the one who forgives you, then you are not actually a Christian. A Christian is a person who has forsaken the sin that once defined them by grace in order that they might follow the one who loves them, who has redeemed them. Now, let's look at what Jesus said about this. Hopefully, it'll, it'll help you see the truth of what I'm, I'm saying here. And I'm going to fly through all of this because there's a lot. I'm going to put a bunch of verses up here. This will all be available on our live stream or our YouTube channel. So if you're like, man, I didn't get a chance to write that one down, you can go back to the video. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move kind of fast. Let's start with this. Jesus said at the Great Commission, the work that he left the church to do. This is like why we exist as a church, to do this kind of work. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There's our word, disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think that means bringing them into this Trinitarian reality of the God of grace and holiness that they might find life in him. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not encouraging them to continue to get forgiveness over and over and over and over again. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to accomplish this work all the way to the end of the age. Now the word observe here, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, it means to cause an action or an activity to continue, to keep. Keep the commands. That's part of discipleship. Jesus told his followers to do everything he commanded them. And in doing that, they would find with them God's power to do that work. God's power at work to help them. They could do what he taught because he had given them all the resources they would need through grace, through the Spirit, through the church, through the Word. Jesus did not command his disciples to go and start new churches or go make Christians or go give people good life advice. Nor did he send them out to just teach people to keep coming to him for forgiveness. He could have said any one of those things if that's what he wanted us to do. But that's not what he said. He said, go and make disciples who will do what I command you. Or what about this one? Go to the next slide. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, when you first read that, that's a heavy verse. Like, we know what the cross is. The cross is death. So take up yours and follow Jesus. To deny yourself is similar to what Peter was talking about. Putting away the passions of your former ignorance, denying the sin what it demands from you when it's making those demands. And when Jesus says that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him, I actually don't think that he means, my friends, that this is hard work. And I'll show you more why that's the case with the next verse. But, but here's why I can say it even from this verse. What do we get at the cross? What do we receive when we go to the cross of Christ? We receive grace. I didn't lift the cross. It wasn't heavy for me. Jesus lifted the cross, and he's, he's willing to lift my cross. This is not a burden. Is it possible that what Jesus means here when he says that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him is that we're actually supposed to place ourselves under grace and through the grace that Jesus gives us, follow him because he will lift the burden of the cross. Wouldn't that be better news? You might think what I'm saying is crazy because we're always taught that like you're supposed to carry your cross and it's going to be really heavy and it's going to be so hard and it's going to be full of suffering. And I even say that from time to time as if discipleship is hard. And there is an element of that. Like I don't want to oversimplify this. I think that there's a balance here. But what about this? Take a look at the next slide. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Anybody in the room need rest? 
Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's the thing that lashes two oxen together so they can pull the, the plow. Jesus is saying, lash yourself to me and I will pull the plow. I will do the heavy lifting. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus carries the burden of the cross, my friends. He will carry the cross of our discipleship for us. He already did. That's grace. So maybe we've been thinking about this all wrong. Is it possible that you've been thinking that discipleship is the heavy burden? When in fact you should realize that sin is the heavy burden. See, we tend to believe the lie that sin offers us, that if you sin, it will be pleasurable, it'll be okay. Sin is the light load and discipleship is heavy. But I think what Jesus would want us to understand is that the flesh is lying to us, that the way of Jesus is hard, that the way of Jesus is suffering. Because in reality, sin enslaves us. Sin is like a giant ball and chain that gets lashed to our ankle. Dragging that thing along is weary. That's the burden, isn't it? Following the way of Jesus is not burdensome. It's joyful. He like takes an axe to that chain and chops it off so you can run free. Sin crushes us, but the teaching of Jesus refreshes our souls. It leads to life. What about this one? Put the next slide up there. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. It's enough. Do you feel like your definition of Christianity is like very difficult? Very like, you're like, man, did I get all the little pieces in there? Jesus simplifies it. It's enough that you would just be like him. And he's willing to do that. He's willing to make you like him by grace. The expectation that Jesus has, though, is that if we are Christians, then we will be like our teacher. And so again, you need to ask yourself a very serious question. Does your life increasingly look like this Jesus? Is he your teacher? Do you know what he taught? Do you seek to live according to that teaching? Do you serve him as your master? Or do you have some other master? what people think about you, the career you're pursuing, the money in your bank account, sex, power, those kinds of things. Is that your master? Or are you moving towards Jesus as master? Here's another one. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The proof that we are connected to Jesus is that from his grace, his life, we bear fruit. The fruit of grace that comes from the Spirit in us. Fruit that grows from our abiding in Christ. We abide in Him and He bears much fruit. Apart from Him we can do nothing. Like this next verse says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so abiding in His word means putting into practice the things that He has taught us. 
Okay, maybe at this point you're like, all right, Gary, I get it, I get it. Just two more. (laughs) Next one. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And on this point, Jesus is simply saying that we have to give up the old way, the old life that used to define us. We have to trade that in for the better life. Like, what if you went to a car dealership and they're like, yes, we would love to take your old jalopy and we'll just straight up trade you for this brand new 2022 Porsche Cayenne. Like, okay, and that's a stupid illustration, but that's the kind of deal that Jesus is offering you. You can give him your crappy old life enslaved to sin and he in, in its place will give you newness of life. The feudal ways of our forefathers by trying to deal with sin through law, we got to give that up. And finally, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, you might not be fully trained until you pass from this life into the next. I think that that's probably what God has in mind. But every day, we should be more and more ready for that final stage. As Christians, we are receiving training to be like Jesus. We have to ask ourselves then, Are we actually becoming more like him? If we're not becoming more like Jesus, our teacher, then are we really a Christian? Do we really know what grace means? All right, so this is why Maricopa Springs values discipleship. Because without discipleship to Jesus, you don't have Christianity. You don't have a church. You don't have the gospel. The gospel is the good news that your life can belong to Jesus and then he will shape you to be like him and it will be a glorious life. The gospel is the good news that your sins are forgiven so that you can live a life like Christ. And truly, can you think of a better option? Does anybody better come to mind for you? Can you think of somebody else that you would like to follow more than Jesus? We live in a culture of followers. I like to scroll through Twitter from time to time and, you know, it says right there next to the person's name how many followers they have. We've got people who follow Elon Musk, people who follow Dr. Fauci, what he says is gospel. We've got people who follow Donald Trump. He's their savior. We've got people who follow Kim Kardashian, people who follow Karl Marx or Joel Osteen for some good advice for their life. We've got people who follow LeBron James, people who follow Ben Shapiro. But seriously, can you think of somebody who is better to follow than this man, Jesus? I can't. This is the man who taught us to love our enemies, to pray for God's will to be done on earth, to seek first the kingdom of God. This is a man who, when people came and said, we want to crown you king, He was like, no thanks, that's not for me. This is the man who was humble and lowly. He surrendered his life on a cross willingly for you. What other person do you know that you might follow would do that for you? This is the man who rose from the dead. This is the man whose very word is like a sword that cuts to the heart of who we are. Can you think of a better teacher? I can't. And if you can't, then commit your life to Jesus. Follow him. Receive God's grace. Seize it. Put it to work. 
Now, maybe all of this is new to you, so let me close by just giving you two simple ways that you can maybe begin to move down this path because you're like, okay, all right, great, you got me fired up. Now, what do I do? And I had a long list, but I, for your sake, just narrowed it down to these two. Okay, first, join a group. And like you hear me say that a lot, so you're like, oh man, I knew that he was going to go there. But join a group, join some group, get connected to other people who are followers of Jesus. So that when you're weary or you stumble, they can say, we got you, man. We will carry you through this season. We will pray for you. We will encourage you. We will remind you of God's word. Get around other disciples so you can watch how they put grace to work to be like Jesus. And stop making excuses like, I'm sure there's a million reasons why you can't do it. But I think those are excuses. And it doesn't have to be one of our groups. If, if none of them work for you, then call somebody in our church and be like, I need some discipleship fellowship. Can we just get together? Join a men's group. Join, a women, join our women's ministry. Join a family church. Registration is open right now for those. Join one. I don't need... I'm asking you to join one, and I don't even know what we're going to do with you because we don't have enough leaders. So I'm sort of asking you, expecting that God's going to do something to provide. And I believe that he will if you take advantage of the opportunity. If you're in junior high or high school ministry, participate in Crux. Get connected. The point is, a very simple step to be more like Jesus is to get around people who are trying to be more like Jesus because they will encourage you in that. And then finally, like I talked about last week, and so I don't need to spend a lot of time on it, learn about the teaching of Jesus. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe you're not a reader. All right, I've got 120 sermons through the Gospel of Luke that are available on our podcast or our website. You could re-listen to all of those. That's like almost 120 hours. Listen to it. Or if you don't like my preaching, find somebody else, that's fine, but... There's opportunities to listen to God's word and apply it to your life. The point is, immerse yourself in the teaching of Jesus. Learn what it means to follow him. So truly, in closing, let me summarize. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is somebody who has confidence in Jesus. That what he says is good and right and true. A disciple commits himself to the way of Jesus. And the life that comes out of that is grace. It's a work of God's grace. Grace that will forgive you every time you fail and fall, but grace that will also change you and give you victory. As you live this new kind of life in Christ, that's going to come from grace. We're going to do communion now. The way that we're going to do that is our worship team is going to come on forward. And uh, while they play, I'm going to pray for us, but after I pray, they're going to play a, a song for us, and our ushers are going to move through the rows, and they're going to hand out the uh, communion elements, um, grape juice and crackers, and I think in the grape juice one, there's a couple of gluten-free crackers, so if you need one of those, it's in the grape juice thing. And uh, at Maricopa Springs, we want to just let you know that if you're a guest, we're very glad that you're here with us. But if you're not a disciple, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this is not for you. This is a celebration for those of us who have trusted in Jesus and his grace to not only forgive our sins, but to sustain us every day. And we do this to remind ourselves that we need to feast on Christ in order to make this journey. So if you're not a believer, just let the play pass. 
And if you are a believer, then take those elements, hang on to them through this song. This is a good opportunity for you to turn to the Lord in worship, repentance, rejoicing, thanksgiving. And then after this song, Rick is going to come up here and lead us through communion while we take those elements together. So let me pray. God, I ask that you would pour out your grace on our church. This grace that not only forgives, but this grace that sustains. That we would be like your son, Jesus. Not because we try really hard or because we don't do things we're not supposed to do, but because we have fallen so in love with this Savior who has redeemed us. And we are so filled with his spirit and we are so encouraged by his grace that we seek to be holy like he is holy. God, we recognize we can't do that work. Would you do that work in us? And as you do that work, would our church shine like the kingdom of God? In Jesus' name, amen.